Coming up on today's show. QB comebacks and chips on shoulders. Should they really matter? Should we get used to super teams in the NFL? And are these players doing too much or too little to help out their teams? And don't forget our new game, Takes Away Takeaways. All of that and much, much more coming up on another award-winning episode of the Tom and Hawk Football Show. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Tom and Hawk Football Show presented by the good folks over at Amazon Music. I am Andrew Hawkins, your humblest of all co-hosts, joined by my man, 10-time Pro Bowler, Joe Thomas. Joe, what's happening, man? Not too much, man. Just excited to see your beautiful face after we had that little mini podcast yesterday, and I learned that uh, Mitt Romney is still relevant, and if you eat cereal, that you are a loser that can't play in the NFL, so... Lots to take away from uh, the Monday show and uh, more to learn in this show. You you were really stuck on that whole Cam Newton eating uh, cereal during the NFL game last week. Well, he said it so boldly. He said it twice. He doubled down on it. And I didn't know that uh, cereal was a performance dehancer. I don't know. I just, the whole thing is mystifying to me. Maybe you can unearth these <laughs> secrets to me and let me know like what that meant. Because I know I'm way behind the times. I'm not nearly as cool and hip as you are. I could maybe shine a light on it for you. Before yes, we get before do. we get into the nitty-gritty of this, you know, longer episode of the Tom and Hawk football show where we slow it down a little bit. This is a good opportunity to help get this off of your mind. Because clearly mm. it's 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 doing mental gymnastics <laughs> for my man right yes. now. What what was the yes. quote that Cam Newton said that is throwing you off about his cereal? What was his cereal hot take? They were like, can you please explain to us what this means that you were able to come out in your return and come back home to Carolina and run for a touchdown and throw for a touchdown? And he was like, it means so much because a week ago I was eating cereal and now I'm playing in the NFL. I was eating cereal a week ago. And everyone laughed like I was missing it out on the joke, but they knew what it was going okay. on. It was like some type of inside joke. No, it was so basically NFL players on Sunday, they play football games. Okay. And so typically you're not going to be at home eating cereal. So his point was, I was at home eating cereal at this time. Like that's not what any other NFL player was doing because they were playing in a football game and I was on the couch watching Netflix eating cereal. So that's what he was trying to get across. Uh, see what he missed was the fact that I don't know if you remember my last few years in the NFL in Cleveland, uh, when you were with me, we played 16 consecutive noon games. And so I was eating cereal by four o'clock yeah. every single Sunday. That's why it was completely lost on me. You were, you were really offended by it too. I was, it's, instead of cereal, it was usually McDonald's, double cheeseburgers, or sometimes Taco Bell. I went with the two chalupas, uh, Supreme, of course, with the two soft shell tacos. And I always went with a Dr. Pepper because you got to add that sugar back into your system after a big game on the gridiron. Hey, we, I, had a, I had a really good talk yesterday. Well, what I thought was a good talk because it was me giving all the good points. But um, we were talking about dynamics of a locker room. And how do we even get to the dynamics? Because I think, oh, here's what it was. The, we were watching the Rams game. And they had three white receivers active. And I was like, yeah, that might be the first time I've ever seen three active white wide receivers in the NFL. And I'm like, me and Joe Thomas were talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they had five starting black offensive linemen. And that was also the first time I think we'd ever seen that in our tenure in the NFL. And so people start asking about the locker room. Like, what's the old line like? And I'm like, well, they kind of just only hang out with each other. And (laughs) somebody else asked, like, well, why is that? Is it because they're big guys? They like to eat a lot. They have a lot in common. They think they're better. I'm like, 
No, I think it's because they don't hang out with each other just because they think they're better than everybody else. They actually are very self, like, deprecating, and they think nobody wants to hang out with them, so they just hang out with each other. (laughs) And they welcome anybody in. And I was like, you know, this is a good question to ask Joe Thomas tomorrow Mm. on the show. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that's where mm -hmm. I want to start off, Joe. Walk us through the psychology of an offensive lineman. Is there, like, some mental kind of block that keeps you guys from gelling as much with the other team? Like, why do you only like each other in a locker room? I think you sort of briefly touched on the self-deprecating aspect. We just kind of think that nobody else wants to hang out with us because we're nerdy losers generally. Uh, All you good-looking receivers, you guys, all these other skilled players, they've got great in shape athletic bodies and hot girlfriends and they're all about being around town and going to the clubs and partying (laughs) and they're the faces of the franchise and then here is us tubby offensive linemen just moping around in the corner doing all the dirty work getting none of the credit and all the blame and we always kind of considered ourselves mushrooms right because however you grow a mushroom is you you put it in a dark room, you throw poop on it, and then you expect it to grow, right? <laughs> that is exactly the life of an offensive lineman. And so I think there's a little bit of this chip on the shoulder mentality among offensive linemen that, uh, you know, everyone's just a little bit too good to hang out with us. Uh, they don't want to stoop to our level of mushrooms. And so they kind of do their own thing. So that's why I would say generally offensive linemen kind of keep to themselves. But as you know, being in Cleveland and when you're in Cincinnati, I'm sure it was the same thing. Like quarterbacks generally like to hang out with the offensive line because we do spend a lot of time talking about blitz pickups um, and tight ends because we do have to work together a lot on the line of scrimmage, blocking, run and pass that you do build some good relationships there. And then occasionally you get a smart guy like you who is like, you know what? I want to hang out with those guys. They don't look all that bad. And then we welcome you into the fold. And uh, even though you don't eat nearly as much as we do, you did enjoy pizza, which was a staple of the offensive line diet. Uh, And I think that's kind of how we became pretty good friends. Yeah, that and also offensive linemen, I typically, every team I play for, eventually I'd have some good old linemen friends because when we would travel, um, you guys can't fit into one seat. So, you know, you basically (laughs) overflow into the next seat. And so when I'd sit in the seat, everybody would always, every old lineman would like sought me out because they're like, he doesn't take up much space. He's the perfect seatmate. And that's typically how we became friends. Yeah. On the bus to the game, when people would be walking down the aisle, I would always grab like the intern trainers because those guys were usually, you know, underfed, underpaid. They got no money. <laughs> they're like 130 pounds. And I'm like, I know I'm going to have to sit with somebody. So I want to go ahead and hedge my bet right now and grab one of these little guys. But Hawk. You were one of those little guys. And so you kind of got grabbed into the fold <laughs> along with the intern trainers that didn't have any money and were very little human beings as well. So uh, maybe that's part of the reason our friendship blossomed. There it is, man. It makes so much sense. All right. Speaking of chips on shoulders, offensive linemen, who are kind of like the opposite of quarterbacks, I think, because quarterbacks, I would try to hang out with the quarterbacks and they wouldn't let me in. But offensive linemen always welcome me in with open arms. Yeah, we're a very welcoming group. Yeah, man, which is a good segue into our first topic. Chips on shoulders. Uh, Cam Newton, you talked about, he was eating cereal last week. Yeah. He came out with a bunch of fire in his comeback for the Carolina Panthers. Rodgers comes back. I mean, we got the the man in the arena, the Brady Doc coming out, which I'm sure is going to be 10 episodes of Tom Brady painting himself as the underdog. Why do you think (laughs) that quarterbacks... 
need this like extreme motivation and like we've seen it with the Baker Mayfield cycle where they got to put themselves as the villain to get the most out of their athletic ability and talents on the field. I think it's because to be great consistently at the quarterback position, you've got to pull these really long hours by yourself a lot of times, studying film, studying your playbook, going over the tendencies of the team you're going to play. And it can be very boring, uh, very mundane. And I think you need something to constantly be pushing yourself to remind you that you need to do this. You need to put in that work when nobody's watching. Uh, because you never know when that one look is going to show up on Sunday that maybe you haven't seen from that defense in four weeks and all of a sudden it's there and you need to be able to have the answers to the test when it's there and you need to be able to get to it quickly. So it needs to be almost a second nature type reaction. Um, and so I think it's different than every other position that has to put in the physical work to be prepared. And then a lot of times the work that you do on the field and then the maybe hour, hour and a half of film study you do on your own every night is sufficient. But quarterbacks just have to go so far above and beyond that they need to make themselves constantly afraid that somebody's going to take their job or uh, they're going to be exposed on the field with a defense that they weren't prepared for to be able to continue to motivate themselves to put in that work late at night when they're watching film, they're studying their playbook, when everybody else, even including a lot of the coaches, have probably already gone home. But isn't that like, I guess that's my question as well, Like, because I feel like the quarterback position, yes, it has physical you know, responsibilities to it, but like, I feel like it's more cerebral than anything. Like, So you motivating yourself with that, come on, I got it. Like that doesn't really yeah. help you that much. Does well, it's it? like you when you're at Columbia, right? Like uh-huh. if you knew that you could put in, let's just say four hours of studying and you were going to get an A on the test. But if you wanted to get an A plus, you're going to have to put three times as much studying. You'd have to put 12 hours in. I would say 99% of the people are going to probably just put that four hours in, feel like, you know what? I'm in really good shape because I'm probably going to get an A on this text. I might get an A plus, you never know, but there might be something on there I don't know, but that's okay because I've done well enough that I feel good, I'm passing, I'm getting that A, feel great. But to be an elite quarterback, you have to get an A plus every single week or at least 15 out of 17 weeks during an NFL season to be considered the top tier quarterback, right? One of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, the Brady's, the Rodgers, you know, some of these guys that are the younger top tier guys right now. Um, your guy, uh, Mike White, you know, those guys that are sort of the upper crust of the NFL, um, they could easily have an A plus one week, but then the next week they're going to be inconsistent and they're going to get a C. And that's the difference between a top five, top tier quarterback in the NFL and sort of a middle range guy like we see that a lot of these teams in the NFL have, right? It's the guys that are consistently great. It's not the guys that, oh, he's, you know, 20 out of 22 and three touchdowns this week and the next week. He's 15 out of 40 with two interceptions. Like you can't have that wild range of inconsistency. And that is the difference. It's the film study. It's the mental capacity to be able to learn and to think about your opponent and to be able to put in those extra time, that extra time in the film room, that extra time studying your playbook that in my opinion makes a difference, but it's hard to do that because the extra effort does not necessarily mean that you're going to definitely get extra results 
you're just kind of put building yourself like an insurance safety net by putting those long hours. I get the extra effort. I get the long like film study and you you wake up early and you go to sleep late and you're the first guy in, you're the last guy out and if you got a free, you know, 27 seconds while you're you're, you're taking the number 2, you should go watch the opposing team's blitz pickup. I get all that. But what I'm saying is like why is it that Aaron Rodgers has to Jedi mind trick himself into believing that the world is against him or that people are saying he's not good anymore, even though he's the MVP yeah. or Tom Brady being like, man, I was taken in the sixth round. Like, because yeah. similar to your serial take, I wasn't drafted. I would have loved to get drafted in the sixth round. I think that's awesome. And then 30 <laughs> years later, nobody cares anymore. So what is it that they have to, you know, kind of be lunatics to get themselves up to play. Those guys feel like their edge is that chip on their shoulder, that underdog mentality that gives them the drive that they need to put in that extra work. And honestly, once you become as successful as Brady Rogers, those guys, you're bored, right? You've seen everything. You've done everything before. I, I got that during my last few years in the NFL, like you had to find ways to kind of play games with yourself to keep you interested in what was going on because it became so routine to go out and do your job. And if you're Rogers or Brady, because those are the two guys we're talking about right now, like everything is just easy and routine. And that's when you just kind of get bored and lulled to sleep, that's when you start slipping. And I think that's why we saw guys of the older generation not being able to play as long as these quarterbacks are right now, right? Because they they weren't able to find a way to continue to motivate themselves, to push themselves, to give that extra effort, to continue to like kind of live on the edge with your preparation so that it didn't get boring. Because once you start slipping as an old guy, you you know this, Hawk, you can't take as many weeks off in the off season uh, when you're in your 30s as you did when you're 20s because you're never able to regain what you had. You can always hold on to what you have. If you take a bunch of time off or take time away from the game, that will bring you down. And it's so much harder to bring your level back up. And I think that's what that's why you see these quarterbacks all Brady, right? He never takes any time off. He never takes time off from his diet. He never goes into an offseason and says, oh, I'm going to go take a couple weeks of vacation and get away from my stretching and avocado ice cream. No, like the only time we ever see Brady like relax at all is when he's celebrating the Super Bowl and throwing Super Bowl trophies from boat to boat. But it lasts like five hours and then he's back in the gym doing Tom Brady TB12 things. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it is super interesting. I, I guess you're right, too, because I think of like Andrew Luck didn't seem like the kind of person that had to, you know, make himself an underdog. And also he was like, yeah, I'm done with football. It was good. Yeah, I'm going to move on now. Yeah, he, he was really good. He was like in the peak of his career. I'm trying to think yeah. of other quarterbacks right now that I don't get that sense from. I don't get that sense from Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't feel like a, I have to be the chip on my shoulder guy. Well, it'll be interesting because sort of the guys we've been kind of talking about and saying that they were uh, kind of bored because it became routine were guys like Peyton, Brady, Rodgers to some extent, who are making plays within the pocket. They're reading the defense. It's like a checklist, right? Okay, where's the safeties? Bang, 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 bang. What's the blitz? What are my protection? What are my round concepts? And you're just going and checking those boxes really quickly. And they're not making a lot of off-schedule plays. Whereas like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, these are guys that all of a sudden they're getting outside the pocket and it's exciting because they don't know what's going to happen. 
the people at home watching don't know what's going to happen. The receivers don't know what's going to happen. And so it's creative. And I think that creativity is what keeps them excited. And it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see if they're doing this 10 years into the NFL, if they're even getting bored with smoking guys and leaving their jock straps on the field like they are right now. Yeah. Well, Russell Wilson, he's kind of a chip guy because he'll like. Yeah. So he's he likes maybe to the, drum up the, the elements a little bridge bit. Bridge guy there. He's for the bridge guy between the two. <laughs> he's kind of a little bit of both. Moving on to the next topic here, super team. We watched the, the Rams this week get beat down by the San Francisco 49ers by Cal Shanahan drink. First off, Sean McVay might have a little bit of a little brother complex. Am I wrong in saying that? Like he No. He just can't beat like the big bro. That's number yeah. one. Number two, this was this was supposed to be a super team. And they didn't look very super this week, but super teams have been taking over pro sports, specifically basketball. And I think this year it's kind of started to seep into the NFL a little bit. I'm just curious of what the overall effect will be. How do you feel about the idea of players kind of grouping up, picking their destination, and essentially trying to chase a ring in a very short order? Yeah. Chasing a ring's great. Like, I love guys thinking that they can group up and just because they're good and their buddies are good that all of a sudden this is going to be the NBA and it's going to be like the heat when LeBron went down there and brought his buddies with him and then they won a few championships. Like, football is not a game that really sets itself up well to super teams because it's so much more scheme and matchup based. And on top of that, there's 11 guys on the field on your team alone at one time point in the game plus you got to get 11 dudes to play defense and then you got a whole roster of special teams guys it's not like the nba where you only have five guys that you need to play during the entire course of a game now granted there's going to be some subs in there somewhere but in the nfl you've got at least 22 different players that are going to have a big impact on your success or failure and if you have a weak group like oh my linebackers stink we can't stop the run on, you know, my outside run because my linebackers can't run. Or, oh, my linebackers are big and slow. They can't cover anybody in the middle of the field. They can't cover tight ends. And teams expose you. That's why I say it's such a matchup league. So in the NFL, it's much more about quarterback play, one, but also you're only as good as your weakest group, your weakest link, right? That theory. Whereas basketball is like, hey, if I get two or three of the best players in the NBA, like there's not really a matchup or a scheme that can kind of stop us. And we're on the court the entire time. It's not a collection of like, it's not a team. It's a collection of talent in the NFL, right? Like, it's, And there's a difference in the NFL because you're right. Something special teams where none of the stars will be will literally decide the game. It's like, if you know, the coaches would always tell us that stat. If you win the turnover battle, you have like a 76% chance of winning the game. Well, a fumble on on kickoff could literally make the determination of whether you win a game or not so all of that talent could be neutralized with like randomness in a play which i think is just way different than the nba that's a good way to put it a lot of randomness especially with injuries that's one of the things too that you don't see as much of in the nba like the nfl especially it seems Mm -hmm. like lately is just so decimated every single week with injuries that you can try to put together five Pro Bowl Hall of Fame guys at your most important positions like all right quarterback left tackle receiver uh, pass rusher, cornerback. And then like the chances of two of those five dudes getting hurt and being gone for the season are fairly good. And so all of a sudden you spend all this money potentially on these dudes or you just put them together and you counted on them and now they're hurt and they're gone and you can't do anything about it. 
Who are the sexiest rosters in the NFL right now, like talent-wise? Rams, obviously. They're the obviously. first one. They're the reason we're talking about it. Right. Rams, Bucks. Bucks, right? I mean, they're bringing 22 starters back from the team that won the Super Bowl, and they've been crushed by injuries, right? They're a prime example of what happens. Like, you think, oh, this is the team that won the Super Bowl. We're going to bring everybody back. But all of a sudden, boom, secondary, crushed with injuries. Now they've got injuries amongst their pass catchers. Now mm -hmm. Vita Vea is hurt. Like, they're just crippled with injuries right now. And quarterback, a lot of times, is the one position that can overcome some of those things. But even good quarterback play in the NFL, like the top tier or even the top 15, so top half-ish of quarterbacks in the NFL are fairly equal. And the difference between the guy that plays a good game and the guy that plays an okay game could be the best performing and the worst performing quarterback of that week. And it might be the 15th best guy has the best game of the week. And the best guy has one of the worst games of the week. And you never, ever see that in the NBA. How many times does LeBron have six points and five rebounds in a game? It never happens. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm just trying to think of who are like the Cardinals. Yeah, you could say the Cardinals are a super team. I mean, JJ went there because he wanted to hopefully win a ring. Now he's injured and potentially out for the season. But they got AJ they've Green got a stacked roster. Okay, so let's say the Cardinals, the Bucks, the Rams. I would say the Browns coming into the season, that's a pretty stacked roster. I mean, they yeah, got stacked, absolutely stacked. So of those teams, are you like, oh, I'm pretty confident one of these will win the Super Bowl? Um, I think you'd have to include more teams. So if we're just kind of like spitballing who has stacked rosters, like I would also include Cowboys. They're pretty stacked. Look, I mean, they're pass catchers. They've got yeah. two great running backs, great offensive line. Turns out their defense is pretty good. Great cornerback uh, play. Micah Parsons is defensive rookie of the year right now. Um, I would say, but how did their roster that, get stacked though? So, like the the Cowboys roster got stacked through the draft. Yeah, so did the Browns. Mostly, no, the, the Browns. Browns didn't because Jarvis was a trade. OBJ, you got yeah, Kareem but those are Hunt. sort of with those are within the normal uh, confines of what you do to build a roster. It's I don't not, know. Two receivers making. Well, your no, no. Your point is that like people are going there because they think they're going to win a Super Bowl, like. Jarvis didn't go to the Browns thinking he was going to win a Super Bowl at the time. He had hoped that they could build into something, but it wasn't a Super yeah. team at the time. Like, I think if you go somewhere in free agency or potentially like with Von Miller going to the Rams, like once the team is already stacked making that Super Bowl run, then I think you can kind of put it into that category. But if they're just built throughout the, the normal method, then I don't think you can consider that. Well, the, you can't, if you do it through that lens, then the Rams wouldn't count either because. They traded for Von Miller. They traded for Jalen Ramsey. So I guess the super team thing, it always has to come from the front office, which is, I guess, maybe we drill down to the biggest difference between basketball and football because the players in basketball determine what the super teams are. The team on the football side is the one controls who the super team is. And it's based on if we're going to just jettison all the future capital we have in draft picks and salary cap for the right now. Mm -hmm. Man. That was a really long way, way of getting there. Yeah, you're, you're sacrificing the future for the right now. Exactly. Absolutely. Do you think it works? Yes or no? No. No. The the thing that I always think about when I think of super teams is remember the Eagles when um, 
I think Mike Vick went there and then Vince Young was the backup quarterback and Vince Young famously declared like, we're a super team. We're going to win the Super Bowl. And then they were just God awful. And Andy <laughs> Reid got fired like that season. So that's always what I think of. I always laugh when people declare themselves super teams or even have that discussion <laughs> because football is just, it's, it's on a different solar system than basketball when it comes to putting a roster together and, and competing for a championship. You remember when Vince Young signed with the Browns? Yeah, I was there. And I was like, wait a second, this guy made the Pro Bowl and like won a Heisman Trophy? <laughs> like, are we oh, serious? Oh, man. I, <laughs> there was one specific play that it, we were at OTAs and we're like seven on seven. So there's not a lot of people even on the field. And he drops back. Nobody's there. He takes off running. And he tries to do it. This is Vince Young, right? And he's, we're not that much older than. He was like a couple years older than you. I think he was a year older than me, maybe. He tried to take off running and do a move, and his hip almost dislocates. <laughs> Nobody's near him. He just falls to his face. And it yeah. was like the, everybody, you could tell everyone on the team looked at him like, oh, damn, that is not the Vince Young <laughs> that we were well, expecting. Vince Young, he did sort of the TB21 method or the 21 <laughs> TB method where anything that Brady was doing to take care of his body, Vince Young was doing the opposite. And so he didn't exactly have a great arm to fall back on to start with. And so when the body started to go, he wasn't exactly the intimidating force that had uh, won a national championship at Texas. The 21 BT method. Yeah, upside down. The, the VY, the 21 VY upside down. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. All right. <laughs> what was our next topic? Carson Wentz, I don't know if you heard this, but he declared to the world, like, I declare bankruptcy that uh, Sunday's game, he was going to be playing even if his wife went into labor and that he was going to do the same thing the next Sunday because football is just so important to him. It's more important to him than it is to everybody else because he's that type of football guy. Hawk, do you think this was a smart long-term play by Carson or was he just trying to do too much for the team or trying to bloviate a little bit too much and curry favor with the fan base? I think he's trying to definitely curry favor. I don't think he's wrong for not going to see his kid be born. Really? Yeah. I mean, on this side of retirement, I'd be like, dude, go, go see your child uh, enter into the, the universe. <laughs> but at the time, you were like, ah, he's going to be there in a couple hours. You can go see him later. At the time, I, I think it'd be ridiculous for him to you know declare, oh, yeah, if, if, you know, if, if she goes into labor, I, I won't be playing Sunday. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Hope Keisha doesn't listen to this podcast. I mean, podcast. dude, it's, this is not... <laughs> At some point, and listen, I'm very player empowerment friendly. We're play, we're people too. But at some point, twenty three million dollars a year, yeah, there's sacrifices, and one of them might be you might not see one of your children into the universe. And if if it's on a Sunday and we have a game, we get sixteen chances. You're the highest paid player on the team. You're gonna be there. I, I would I would I would be shocked if he misses a game for the birth of his child, and maybe that makes me a terrible father. I'm okay with that, but I'm just putting myself back into the mindset when I was playing, there was no way I was going to miss a game because that could have meant I wasn't going to be able to take care of said baby that just entered into the universe because they were absolutely going to replace me. And Carson Wentz is kind of in that situation too. So Carson once told us with this that he is more afraid of the COVID vaccine because he's one of the non-vax guys. So he's completely willing to miss a game for like the Aaron Rodgers situation where you get COVID and maybe you're not sick, but you can't come back because you're not vaccinated. Then he is excited to be at the birth of his child because he's willing to miss that to go play a football game. But he's 
so afraid of the COVID vaccine that he's willing to miss a football game. So that's an interesting hierarchy that he has created for everybody by coming out and declaring, I declare I will not be there for the birth of my child because I love my team so much, but I won't get the vaccine. I mean, it is absolutely plays into that first topic we had of like the mental thought process of a quarterback. But I mean, that's, that's the beauty of media. This is, this is the world we live in. You say it like, we hold the microphone last. You say it like, oh, you're going to miss the birth of your child for a football game. That makes it sound very, very minimal. Whereas if you ask, I mean, we could put a poll on this up because we have a social media page. Here's the conspiracy theory and theorist in me. I believe that the Philadelphia Eagles are, uh, secretly sending Carson Wentz messages to let him know that he does not want to be there for the birth of his child. Because if you remember, if he plays like more than 70, 75% of the snaps this season, their draft pick that they got in exchange for trading him to Indy Mm -hmm. becomes a first round pick versus a second round pick. So the Eagles want him to play Colts, depending on how their season is going, don't want him to play. (laughs) So that's an interesting dynamic. Maybe the uh, birth memo, that is coming out of Philadelphia subliminally is like, Carson, you don't want to be there. It's not going to be fun anyway. Like, just go play the game. It's really important that you're there to help your team win. I, I just did the math. You saying it like you're skipping the birth of your child for a football game. If you asked any man in America, would they skip the birth of their child for roughly $1.3 million? Well, see, that's different because you're you're making the decision based on Carson getting paid if he's there and not getting paid if he's not there, which is not the scenario. He's going to get paid no matter if he shows up or not. Like if he twists his ankle this weekend and doesn't play, he's going to get paid and he's not going to play. If his wife goes into labor, he's not going to play, but he's still going to get paid. So it's really not a monetary discussion. It's about like being there for his team. That's the conversation we're having. But that, I mean, this is a... The birth of your child is a non-football injury. If you twist your ankle. <laughs> I love that. Yes, I love if that. If you twist your hey. ankle, yeah, we get it. That's the price of doing business. That's amazing. The, the team wasn't in on the sex that you had to have a baby. That's true. That wasn't ours. Well, you never know. I want my $1.3 million back because, again, I didn't. I wasn't in on that. That's your problem. Can you imagine if a team <laughs> came out and said, if you skip this game for the birth of your child, we are putting you in the non-football injury list and docking your do week's pay. Hawk would be on board for that. <laughs> I swear to God, I would. I don't know. I See, I have a different perspective on this because the birth of my first child was the best moment of my life, bar none. And then number two was the second best. Number three was the third best. Fourth was a little bit chaotic. Uh, not to go into too many details, but <laughs> we got the epidural a little bit late. And there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of punching and there was a lot of hate between mama and, and yeah. daddy at that moment. And so that that was not there was there was a big gap before number four gets into the uh, uh, best <laughs> moments of my life. Three kids, I would have skipped number four. four games, and then the fourth kid. Is- I would have never missed the birth of my first three kids for a football game. Number four, there's a few football games I would have missed that one for because that was not as much fun as the first three. <laughs> uh, Sorry, hilarious. Reese. Love you, Reese. <laughs> okay, so you think he should be paid? You think players who skip a game? should still be paid for for the birth so of the here, here's here's where i draw the line right because life is all about drawing lines okay so not being at a game for mental health reasons or for the birth of your child those are acceptable excuses where i'm still going to pay you but we're going to be excused 
maybe the death of an extremely close member of the family, but that kind of falls under the mental health subheading. Mm -hmm. Um, but like funeral weddings, like things along that nature, I'm sorry. Like you gotta be at the football game. Like they can schedule those things roughly around this game and you can, you're paid millions of dollars. You can find a way to be there and still be at the football game, spend a little bit of money, get the private jet, move the wake or the funeral back a few hours, move it up a few hours, whatever you got to do. But like, I'm sorry, but, but this is the most important thing in your world, except for death of somebody in the immediate family, mental health crisis, birth of your child. Mm. What's your take? I say, get your f-ing cleats. <laughs> and your oh, ass wow. better be on the field. I love it. At 11 a.m. for pregame. There we go. He's old school. Andrew Hawkins. All right, Joe, it's time for a new game we're giving a try today. It's called Takes Away Takeaways. Here's how it works. We sent out some of our hotter takes to our producers. They wrote them down and put some even steamier ones in there. Now we're going to take turns blindly defending the takes that they give us. And we're not going to tell the other one which ones are real or which ones are fake until after we've made our argument. Do you understand? Capiche. Here we go. Joe, you're up first. All right, Hawk. Cam Newton and PJ Walker of the Carolina Panthers are a two-headed monster to be reckoned with in the NFC. I really see that these two guys can really actually change the narrative about having two quarterbacks, which usually is if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. But PJ Walker proved last weekend that he is really good at operating within the normal confines of the offense, which is what a quarterback is expected to do, namely third down in between the 20s in those red zone areas, uh, two minute offense. He can sling the football. He was very effective. He looked good spinning it. And then all of a sudden you got this Cam Newton guy that's going to trot in when it's short yardage, when it's goal line, when it's some of those special situations. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in history in those goal line situations, in those short yardage situations. He's nearly unstoppable. And he proved last weekend that he's still big. He's still physical. He can still run the football. And the only reason that things didn't work out with him in New England is because he wasn't really able to throw the football down the field. Playing P.J. Walker gives you the opportunity to kind of check both of those boxes. And I think both of those guys are at points in their career where they're okay kind of sharing the spotlight with the other guy if it means team success. Okay, besides the fact that I've heard you make this point, and I know it's real, um, the other reasons why I know it's real is because this is a very uh, offensive line take. Because as a receiver, Mm. I'm like, I don't want two damn quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And not to mention what you're describing around Cam Newton is actually a running back because mm-hmm. he's going to come in and just run the football. So yeah. I'm going to say this is a real take from, from, from Joe Thomas for all the reasons that I mentioned above. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it is a real take. And on top of that, <laughs> you made my point even stronger because Carolina, while they do have Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, those guys aren't exactly like Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup where they're going to both need 20 touches a game. Like, These are guys that are going to be happy to get five to seven catches uh, every single week if it means winning with both of those quarterbacks. Because they've been used to getting the ball from Sam Darnold the rest of the season (laughs) before this game. So they're going to be happy with what they get. Just on the way out the door, Sam Darnold catches a stray. (laughs) All right, here we go. Baker 
will have the NFL's number one selling jersey as the Texans quarterback next season. Hear me out. Here's what I think goes down. Baker has had some injuries. He has. And what that has proven is that, and you know this as a player, when you're not at full strength, you're really not putting your full abilities on display. Like I played through rib injuries, ankle injuries, and it would always be Hawkinson getting open. Well, I'm hurt. OBJ, he was hurt. Yeah, he didn't look as good as he did when he was healthy. That same thing goes for Baker Mayfield. So he's been getting a lot of flack about, you know, oh, is he not reading the field? Is he, he's not, you know, going through his progressions, his mechanics are off. He has a literal broken bone in his shoulder, but I think the impatient uh, nature of Browns fans are going to put them in a situation where they have to make a decision. Is this our quarterback of the future? And it's just bad timing. In a contract year, you want to be at full health. You want to do the Joe Flacco, take your team to a Super Bowl and get the bag. Unfortunately for Baker Mayfield, it's the opposite, where he's had to deal with a lot of injuries. So I kind of feel like Baker Mayfield will no longer be the quarterback of the Browns and go to a space who needs a quarterback, in desperate need of a quarterback, in his home state of Texas, because the Texans would jump on board, and as you get the hometown kid back in his home state, those jerseys will be selling off the rack as a Houston Texans quarterback. That's my take, Joe. I think your take, uh, this is like the PolitiFact, you know, when uh, those newspapers, they take like what a politician says, and then they give it like, Mm -hmm. true, false, or like, kind of true, kind of false. Well, yours kind of falls in between, because I definitely think that you believe Baker will not be the quarterback of the Browns next season, but there's no way he's going to have the number one selling jersey because there's so many other more popular quarterbacks. And I get the idea of him going back to Texas would be really popular, but I think it would be more popular if he was like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, which he's proven in year four of his NFL career that he's not one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And so Texans fans, which are already not as big and voluminous as Cowboys fans are, Texans fans were going to be kind of like, eh, we traded Deshaun Watson for Baker Mayfield. Eh, They're going to try to get them excited about that, but it's just not going to work. So. Uh, I think that you do not believe this take. I don't. And I tried to sell it. I don't know if I was convincing. <laughs> I, was, good job of selling it. I was making stuff up on the fly. So, yeah. All right. What's next? That was a producer take. That was good. Good job, producers. You have failed. Football Media School 101. <laughs> uh, because your take is not believable. Mac Jones is as good a rookie right now as Tom Brady was in his rookie season. I'll tell you why. Because that's not a big bar. Like, Tom Brady was really good as a rookie, but the New England Patriots were winning with defense, with run game, and it gave Tom Brady an opportunity to mature within that offense, mature within himself, and it wasn't until after they won a couple Super Bowls that all of a sudden you got to see the best version of Tom Brady, which now we all consider as the greatest of all time. So, after what Mac Jones did to our Browns last weekend, it's pretty easy to say that Mac Jones is playing better than Tom Brady did in his rookie season. Okay. lot to drink in here. Get a big straw here, kid. The same way you don't listen to me because I, I give terrible O-line takes. It's the same way I feel about your quarterback takes. So there's a part of me that feels like, yeah, this, this is true. But then I know you for a long time, and I know when you're passionate about something you believe, you give me at least 20 sentences on it. <laughs> this one you cut to about five. In the interest of time. 
<laughs> I feel like this is just go D all of the above. two parts. You're reading way too much in the multiple choice. You should have gone with your first instinct. I think this is not your take, but I think you believe it. So it's a very weird thing. I don't even know if that's an option. I, I feel like this is a producer take that you sold, but you actually do believe this at the same time. So what is it? What's the Bravo. That that was really impressive because you hit the nail <laughs> on the head. This is not my take that I sent to the producer, but I absolutely do believe this for See? the reasons that I laid out. I mean, it's a pretty easy take. It's like Brady was okay, maybe good as a rookie. Mac Jones is good as a rookie, might actually become the offensive rookie of the year because at the robotic linear pace that he is ascending in his performance as a quarterback, much to the delight of Bill Belichick and Patriots Nation, uh, he's probably going to be better than Brady was at the end of his rookie season. Mm, How about that, man? I like this game. This is fun. All right, what's the next one? I'd rather build around Tua than Lamar. (laughs) (laughs) Hear me me out, okay? (laughs) Sorry, I choked on my cough drop there. How many dual-threat quarterbacks have won a Super Bowl? Mm Mm-hmm. We'll start off with the question. Answer that so question I would, for me, Joe. I would, I, I mean, not to go back on the, what, 50-plus Super Bowls, but I would say in recent memory, Aaron Rodgers, I would consider him sort of dual threat, and I would consider Russell Wilson uh dual threat guy. Those are the no. two that come to mind. Neither one of those are dual threat. Patrick Mahomes, dual threat. Like you're saying they have to be legitimately running the, the read zone. How many running quarterbacks have won a Super Bowl? In recent memory, I can't think of one who would be as much of a running threat as Lamar. Think of one that's even relatively close. None, right? How many game managers can you think of over the last 20 years that have won a Super Bowl? Well, the one that always comes to mind is Trent Dilfer and Joe Flacco, both of the Ravens, who won with Mm -hmm. defense. Nick Foles. Nick Foles, right, okay. Would fall into that category. That'd be a good one. There you have it. You have three quarterbacks that have won a Super Bowl. Wow. You got me thinking on this one all of a sudden. (laughs) And the reason being is you build around game managers. You have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl, building around a game manager and putting pieces around them on every other facet of the team, on the defensive side, the receiver position, the running back, specifically the O-line, than you do having more with a running quarterback. Because it's just you're going to rely on them too much. So they're going to be lights out. They're going to be one of the best players in the league. But when the playoffs come, it's going to be too much on their shoulders. So for Tua, a guy who is a game manager, that if you can get him healthy, he has a messed up finger, so some of his throws are off right now, but he is in the vein of the Mac Jones, the manager, the kind of dink and dunk. You have a better chance of getting and winning a Super Bowl with a Tua than you do a running quarterback in Lamar. Uh, I don't believe your take. I like that you leaned on historical data to make a fairly convincing argument. Uh, However, Lamar is better at Tua in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, (laughs) pretty much everything that you're looking for in a quarterback. And so if you wanted Lamar to be a check down Charlie game manager type quarterback, he could do that if he had a great team around him. Unfortunately, his team has been completely decimated with injuries and they're still one one of the teams that might win the first seed in the AFC. So there's no way that anybody on earth, including you, as dumb as your takes are most of the time, would think that Tua is better to build around than Lamar. Yeah, that one wasn't even believable. (laughs) (laughs) No, you, I tell you what, as far as having the worst take and having to defend it, like that gap 
that uh, difference, <laughs> you win by far because you did a great job talking about Thank the you. historical evidence of winning with a dual threat versus a, uh, a game manager type quarterback. Like Tua's, they're talking about benching Tua as a game manager. Think about that. <laughs> He's not even good at managing. You can't even be a game manager. All right, next one, Joe. You're up. What do you got? Bobby Hunt, the great guard from the Dolphins, mm-hmm. who caught a almost touchdown pass in the Thursday night game. It was uh, like a screen that he jumped in front of the running back, snatched it up, and then did an amazing like jump cut to avoid one tackle. And then as he's approaching the goal line, he dove and somebody took out his legs and he did like a helicopter and he reached over behind his head, put the ball across. Unfortunately, he forgot that offensive linemen are not allowed to catch passes unless they're eligible, of which he was not. Uh, so it was all for naught. But anyways, I believe that the Dolphins should move Robert Hunt to receiver or running back or tight end because he has shown the ability to catch the football, to avoid tacklers, and to be a force around the goal line. I think the Dolphins should do with Robert Hunt what the Baltimore Ravens have done with Patrick Ricard. Patrick's 300 pounds. He's an offensive lineman in the backfield. He brings fear into every opponent that he goes against because those linebackers and safeties don't want to see all 300 pounds of this dude coming through and creating holes, just like if Robert Hunt was doing it. And with a team like the Dolphins, who primarily are are using their quarterback to run the football, to run RPOs, to run zone reads, and who could actually kind of put together a pretty good offense, a little bit like the Ravens were doing at the beginning of Lamar Jackson's career. And they could actually win a few more games because if they had that dominant physical rushing attack with Bobby Hunt in the backfield, it would maybe even open up some things for Tua to be able to throw some easier passes down the field that he'd feel more comfortable with. Okay, on one hand, I do think Tua being able to throw to his guard is what Tua would want. The closer the pass, he, <laughs> the more comfortable Tua seems to be in his offense. Yes. On the other hand, and this is a big one, that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Um, written written out in a text and it's supposed to be believable because there's no way ever that Bobby Hunt would be a threat to do anything except block somebody. But he did look great. He looked great for an offensive lineman, right? Dude, he had some great moves out there, man. And he had that sense of where the goal line was and to be able to extend he the did. football. Like, you could tell that he'd done that before, man. He'd been there before. There's there's being, like, there's being good and then there's being good for a blank. That That is what Bobby Hunt is. So this is a bad, this is a fake bad take because Bobby Hunt is not good at receiver, running back, or tight end. He is good for an offensive line. He's more athletic for an off. He's like, you know, like I, I'm like a, I'm at least a, a, a six in my hometown, very small hometown, mm. a six or a seven, a good looking seven in my hometown. You're in LA, only a seven in Johnson. Yeah. And LA Damn, there must be some good looking folks in Johnson. I'm never going <laughs> I'm, there. Cause I'm I'll below be like a five a in LA. LA is like a yeah. different beast out here. It's like supermodels and stuff out here, man. Like, you know, I'll buy that. so I'm good looking for my hometown. Bobby Hunt is athletic forward offensive lineman. Fake take. No, it's actually a real take. I think that that could really be a oh, wow. huge you part already. of their offense. Okay. Like, like, I'm not saying that he's going to catch 10 touchdown passes, but I'm saying that you put a 320-pound dude in the backfield with those moves with the ability to like <laughs> cripple and debilitate a defense from the inside out, 
with run blocking. And then all of a sudden you put a couple plays in there where he's just running like little curls, little hook it up, you know, little cover two in the two minute drill <laughs> where he just kind of hooks it fr- up in front of that middle linebacker. You dump it off. Who's going to tackle that guy in the middle of the field? Who's going to block for two for the, the 15 seconds it takes him to get seven <laughs> That's yards okay, down the field? Okay. Take defeated, you win. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a real take. All right, next one. Tom Brady is the worst competitor in professional sports. Hear me out. If I played my son, my nine-year-old son, in basketball every single day, and I beat his ass every single day, would you call me a competitor? Is that rhetorical? I never said, you know what, I should go figure out something else to do, something that challenges me, something where it's harder to beat someone in something than a nine-year-old in basketball. Would you call me a great competitor, Joe? Honest question. Um, No, because no. you're not seeking the next challenge. You're not constantly challenging yourself to do things that you know you can't or yes. you think you can't. That's an incredible answer. Not a growth mindset. Not a growth Hawk, mindset. No growth mindset. All right. Now, insert the NFL for my nine-year-old son and insert Tom Brady for me. At one point, it's like, man, you keep, he's 44 and he's still doing it well. This is just really, really easy to him. Has anybody thought about that? And he just wants to keep doing the thing that is very, very easy to him over and over and over again because it's easy. That's not a competitor. That's someone complacent who is scared to go challenge something else like every other athlete has had to do. We're doing it now. We're conquering podcasting. Maybe Tom Brady doesn't have what it takes to be a good podcaster. The Mannings are tackling the Manning cast. We got people doing all kinds of things, but no, Tom Brady just wants to take the easy road and keep doing the same thing he's done for 24 years. I don't think he's a competitor. I think he's lazy. <laughs> uh, I'm not buying it. I think that that take, while somewhat convincing on a uh, strange extraterrestrial level, um, <laughs> was not a real take because American football is the biggest stage in sports in our country. So anybody that grows up in America would probably dream to be the greatest football player of all time. And then once you get there, the challenge of staying on top, I think you didn't sell that enough. Like uh, clearly because then it would destroy your take, but like, that's why Tom Brady's always looking for the chip. He's always looking for that edge because staying on top as the greatest, as the greatest of all time, that's way even harder than getting to become the greatest of all time. Okay, it was a fake take. <laughs> it was. Easy money. But I thought that was a really good argument that I would be able to convince you. It was pretty strong. Being like, oh, man, Hawk is, an, Hawk is an idiot. You tried to pull on the heartstrings there a little bit by throwing your son in there. Yeah. yeah it was a good the, effort. Always the key. All right, last thing we got going on today's show. We're going to tell you about who's going to win this weekend uh, with a few Tom and Hawk football show game picks. These are guaranteed to be right, so take them (laughs) directly to your bookie, uh, but don't put a lot of money on them because we've uh, had a little bit of a tendency to be less than right in recent memory. So first game we're going to talk about, Colts at Bills Hawk. Who do you like in this one? I like the Bills, actually. I don't know why. Mm. You were big on the Bills early on. I was not. Uh, I think this is a perfect trap game because the Bills should win this one. But for whatever reason, I'm just not as sold on them as other people. Um, so I think they win, but I think it's a it's by like a very narrow margin of victory. Who do you got? 
Yeah, I, I got the Bills in this one. Josh Allen last weekend against the Jets. I know it was the Jets, but he was 14 of 17 for over 300 yards passing in play action alone. Uh, Matt Eberflus, a former Browns coach who's now the Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator. One of the ways you can get after that defense, which is one of those really, really fundamentally sound zone dropper type defenses, is you run the football and then you hit them with some play action. It opens up some seams. And so I think Josh Allen's going to have a big day because of that ability for him to be able to nail teams in the seams and in the holes with the play action pass. All right, next up, we got the Packers at the Vikings. Joe, who you got in that one? Yeah, Packers, they won last week. They continue to show everybody that they can win in different ways, uh, but they won't need different ways against the Vikings because it's still the Vikings. It's still Kirk Cousins and company, and I think the Packers roll in this one. Aaron Rodgers is a little bit more like himself after coming off of COVID last week, and I think he throws for well over 300 yards, and they win comfortably by double digits. Man, am I going to pick the Vikings over the Packers here for the upset? Oh, my goodness. They've lost... I think all but one game by one score. I'm going with it. I got the Vikings with the upset. We've got a bunch of these games that are like upside down and teams winning when they shouldn't and teams losing when they shouldn't. I think this continues the trend. The Vikings beat the Packers, Joe. All right, next one up is Bengals at the Raiders. Mm, Bengals at the Raiders. I like the Bengals in this one. The Raiders, uh, they don't have a head coach. I feel like they had a good opportunity to beat the Chiefs a week ago. That did not happen. And I think the Bengals get get the ship back on back on track this week against the old Las Vegas Raiders. Who you got? Yeah, I got the Bengals. They're coming off their bye week. I think that uh, Joe Burrow just is so impressive, and the growth that he makes almost from game to game um, is going to be even more magnified coming out of that bye week. And I think the Raiders are just emotionally drained. Too much has gone on this season, and they were able to kind of rally the troops for a little while, but um, this draining that you saw last weekend uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think it just continues for probably the rest of the season. And they'll be up and down. They'll win a few games. They'll probably maybe get near 500, um, but they're never going to be able to recapture some of the great play that they had earlier on in the season. It's amazing how many teams are still in playoff contention. All right, next one, we got the Steelers at the Chargers. Who you got in this one, Joe? This is a tough one. Yeah, this is a tough one, but I I got the Chargers. I know that there's a lot of problems right now. People are pointing a lot of fingers at the Chargers offensive coordinator because he's not letting Justin Herbert go down the field. Well, all that is fixed this week. TJ Watt going to be maybe questionable in this game. Have not heard his status yet, but um, I think the Chargers are really going to be able to run the football against the Steelers. They're going to open up some of those deeper half-roll shots for Justin Herbert that he's become so famous for. Um, and I think even though it's a close one, the Chargers are able to squeak this one out in L.A. Man, this is a tough one, too. Yeah, I'm going to go with the the Chargers, although I hate their run defense, man. It's really bad, and the Steelers' run game has come on. But I'm going to go with the Chargers. I'm going to give them, I'm, I'm gonna give them the home field advantage. All right, last one, the biggest one, the probably the game of the week, Ooh. Cowboys at Chiefs. Who you got in this one? Yeah, I love the Cowboys. They're rolling, and I know everyone's jumping back on the Chiefs bandwagon after what they saw last week, but Patrick Mahomes still taking a few too many chances for me, and that's not going to work all that well against Trayvon Diggs and that stellar Cowboys secondary. Uh, And when you look at the Cowboys, you're like, okay, what do they do the best? Okay, Dak Prescott throws the ball for 500 yards down the field every week against crappy or even sometimes really good secondaries, and you know what the Chiefs are? They are really, 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 really crappy secondary. So. Cowboys are going to roll in this one. Dak Prescott is going to have a career day, and they're going to win by a lot. Man, I feel like 
my soul is telling me to go with the Chiefs. I'm going to pick the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs win here. And then everyone acts like the last four weeks never happened for the Chiefs and that they're back and they're going to win the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. This is the game to do it. Chiefs get the W and improve to 7-4. and four. All right, that does it for this episode of the Tom and Hawk Football Show. Make sure you listen to our Monday minicast exclusively on Amazon Music. And make sure you follow the Tom and Hawk Football Show on Amazon Music so you don't miss a single episode. Joe, any final thoughts? Yeah, final thoughts is uh, we're in the meat of the football season. Every team seemingly is alive. Every single week we're seeing the best teams that we think are Super Bowl contenders getting their asses whipped uh, and teams that stink coming back to life. So this is so much fun, especially as we're moving into the Thanksgiving holiday season, which combines the two greatest things on earth, binge eating way too much food and watching football and drinking beer. So I'm looking forward to doing a lot of that coming up in the next couple of weeks. And fingers crossed that the NFL remains as unpredictable the rest of the season as it has been thus far. Man, by week 11, when we played Joe, we already had our flights home. We knew we weren't going to the playoffs. Already had that January vacation booked (laughs) in the books, non-refundable. All right, make sure you come back next week where we'll talk our favorite Thanksgiving foods, probably. Joe, take us out. Joe Hawk yourself.